You're listening to Partnernomics Podcast, where we discuss the art and science of developing successful strategic partnerships. To learn more about the suite of Partnernomics solutions, visit Partnernomics.com. So today we have Dr. Mike McKinney. Mike, how you doing, buddy? I'm well. How are you, man? Good. Good to see you again. So Mike is with Yellow Dog Network, and Mike, I know you have a a very interesting career, an interesting background. I think you were a dean, maybe even at a couple different uh, colleges or universities, so it's really interesting of how you made your way into your current role. But if you wouldn't mind, I know you could do a much better job of of sharing your background than I could. Tell us a little bit about, uh, about Mike. Oh, sure. Thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, yeah, I started out and taught elementary ed in middle school for about 10 years and then got my master's at the, at Rockhurst university and said, I want to go into higher ed because that's my dream. Uh, it doesn't look like they're really working and, uh, you know, get to talk about great ideas. And so I figured out what do I want to, you know, where do I want to get a doc? And so I looked at, and I ended up getting my doctorate from the university of Missouri, Columbia. And I was on faculty at a, at a, college and uh, during the great economic recession of 2008 I was up for tenure and was denied tenure and said I'm gonna become a dean and I put that out you know definitely into my intention and uh, was hired at at Avila University and was the youngest dean they ever had at the School of Ed and uh, went in there 39 years old and and uh, the cowboy it and 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 it was uh, an interesting uh, definitely a good place, but it was not the right place for me. And so I ended up going to ITT Tech, which is a for-profit school. I'm sure you remember the commercials. We can change your life. And was there until they closed their doors. And so uh, very good. Definitely a business background. Definitely about, you know, the bottom line is the bottom line. It taught me about working in a, you know, in a corporate environment. And then I kind of positioned myself and had a consulting company and did a lot of academic, you know, research, writing, working with doc students, and then leveraged that and then transitioned into strategic partnerships at a nonprofit and now business development at Yellow Dog Networks. So it seems that you have a real love and passion for technology, you know, and it seems that uh, people either, especially I have a bit of a background in, in academia as well as an adjunct, never as full-time, but, uh, you know, I've definitely been in the classroom a bit teaching folks, and that's what we love to do. But it's been my experience, professors, instructors, they either love technology or they hate it. It sounds like you're definitely in the love category. I am. I am. Yeah. When I was, I I, I taught in the Raytown School District for many years and I was the uh, lead technology teacher in the late 90s and early 2000s. When I came to Avila, one of the first things I really tried to do, and this was even before iPads were around, uh, was to try to do uh, online content try to get the faculty to, you know, transition to, you know, back when it was calling it podcasting and doing the podcast for, for instruction. Uh, Definitely one of the, one of the things that I've tried to do is be ahead of the curve and working at a tech company, uh, you know, we're kind of a tech integrator. Uh, It's kind of exciting to figure out what are, what's out there and what's capable and what are the capabilities to help people. So yeah, I love tech. It's really timely <laughs> for, it for where we're at now. Right. So, Mike, if you don't mind, I'd like to just have you share just a quick background or just for a reference point of Yellow Dog Network and what, what you guys do and what you provide there, what your specialty is. Sure. So Yellow Dog is, uh, it's the best way to describe it is truly a technology integration company. So we go into an organization, let's say it's a, 
I'll give you a, a specific example. I'm working with a local charter school. And so what we're looking at there and helping them with is designing and redesigning their internal network, the wired and wireless side of it. Uh, the executive director and the CEO said, you know, we need some help with uh, Chromebooks. Have you ever done Chromebooks? And I said, no, we've never done Chromebooks, but let's figure that out. And so putting together the, the right kind of hardware that they need and working on that. Uh, you know, then with that same kind of client or customer looking at, you know, what's your security posture? How safe is your data? I don't know about you, but you know, my kids uh, attend a local public school and a lot of them, they, they were hit with their data being taken, stolen, Ames web and things like that. And so that's a big concern for a lot of our clients. Uh, another big concern is where's your data stored? Is it in the cloud? Is it in the colo space? And so when I go in and meet with different clients, I, I, we look at everything big picture, holistically, 10,000 foot view. And as far as the technical side, I bring in engineers because they're smarter than me when it comes to that uh, and let them figure out what's the best solution and find the ways to do it. So Mike, I know you're really passionate about the digital divide mm -hmm. and, uh, and then trying to, trying to, cross the chasm with that. Can you explain to us, maybe even for the listeners who are not real familiar with the digital divide, right? what is it? And then how, how are you addressing it? Great question. So if you look at, at Kansas City as a, as a metro, both sides of the state line, when the, the COVID hit and pandemic and everything and school shut down, my kids uh, attend, well, they attend Lee Summit schools and they are a one-to-one -one device community, meaning that they had Chromebooks and they went home and within a few days they were up and running. No problem. Well, the, the, a big issue with the Kansas City Public Schools and many of the charter schools and some of, in, 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 and this is something that doesn't really get spoken about a lot is the rural schools. Number one, they didn't have devices. Number two, they did not have connectivity. How are they gonna connect? Number three, they didn't have uh, the instructional support to make all this happen. And so the digital divide, it's along economic lines, it's along class lines, we could say it's along racial lines. And so what happened is a lot of different organizations, including Yellow Dog, during this figured out what are ways that we can help and get students re-engaged with learning so they don't fall behind. And you know, it, and it, it is a big passion of mine because it's, it's still ongoing. I mean, we, we don't know what the fall is going to look like. You and I were talking about this before we started recording. What's it going to look like for our kids? So, Mike, what do you think? Obviously, there's no simple solution to this. And uh, I've, I've heard this topic being talked about for at least a decade. Um, as you think about, you know, different technologies that are out there, looking at uh, these different macro carriers going into more of the 5G space, larger mm -hmm. bandwidth, hopefully cheaper bandwidth, like mm -hmm. less expensive. But then also coupling that with how much money and how much resources and budgets that are put into each individual student, trying to remember the number, but it's, it's pretty staggering how much money is spent on a per student basis for... Right for education, for K-12 education. Um, from your personal experience and your own personal opinion, what are some ways that we can accelerate this? Because I don't think it's a matter of, you know, will there be one-to-one -one learning in the future? I think it's a question of how long is it going to take each district to get there? What are, what are your thoughts? 
I think it's an, it's an overused term, but it's a roadmap. You know, you have to figure out, you have to have a map, you have to have a plan in place to know where you're going. You know, one of the best sayings that I, I really like, uh, in, if we get into this, I really like, you know, reading motivational speakers and different thought leaders. There's a reason why our front windshield of our car is larger than our rear view mirror, because we're focused on that. I think the, the, the biggest thing is that because there's so many stakeholders that are involved. So you've got, you think about Missouri, the state of Missouri, the board of education, you have the governors, then you have it at the local level. And then within the local level, you have different levels of leadership, different silos. I mean, and so I think the best thing is to figure out, okay, backward design in education. What are the outcomes? Thinking, what do we want our students to look like? What, what skills, dispositions do we want them to have? Then from there, you think about, okay, what's the technology that can support that? All right. Then on top of that, how is that, what's it going to look like perhaps in the home or in the classroom, a bigger, and, and then what, and then working backwards from that, how are we going to get there? What kind of training are the teachers going to get? What kind of training is the district going to provide for parents, you know, and support for parents? Because, you know, I, this is something I know having worked with underserved students, parents are doing the best they can. And no one wants to throw a parent under the bus and say, you're not doing that and, and have to be responsible for the, the learning. I do think uh, on a side, this is again, my personal opinion, all too often um, any organization, but schools, a lot of times they throw good money after bad because they're, they're trying to figure we've got to, we've got to take care of this. We've got to do this. Um, and so I know that for example, a, a local nonprofit pumped $1.5 million dollars into the into schools and charter schools again and it's in, and they, they did the right thing to get devices one-to-one -one lte devices hotspots into the hands of charter schools and things like that and now and and they're really trying to figure out and and assess student learning what is it effective and so i do getting back to it i know kind of a rambling answer but is it like definitely thinking of a plan having a plan in place but definitely going back and assessing assessing what's working what's not working um, yeah to your point it's it's an ecosystem it's not it about the device it's right. not just about connectivity uh, it's not just about the content it's it's everything it's it is putting everything together well and 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 in trying, you know, me independent of this, because I, we have a, an education practice at Yellow Dog is meeting with the different, you know, organizations that all are very well intended and they're doing these things, but it's, you're talking to organization A, you're talking to organization B, you're talking to organization C. And during this pandemic, it's almost impossible, except through what we're doing now, Zoom, to bring everyone into the same room and talk about and say, what is this going to look like, you know? Yeah. I worked when I was at ITT, one of our, our district leaders used to use the phrase, we're riding the bike and fix, fixing it at the same time. That's kind of what we're doing. Um, but it is a systems, it's broken. Yeah. I mean, let's just call it what it is. I mean, yeah. it, you know, we're, everything, everything. I mean, uh, you know, <laughs> and we're trying to fix it while we're still trying to move forward. And it's a challenge. But the thing is, whenever you step into something like COVID, Mm -hmm. You don't have the option, right? No, it, no. It's, it's broken and you can't wait until next year to fix it. You no. got to fix it now. Right, right. You, you're, that is spot on. And you can't sit by the sidelines and wait. You can't do that. You have to jump right in. You know, my dad was a doctor and, and I, one time we were, as a kid, someone fainted in, in our church and my dad didn't just stand there and watch and go, oh, interesting. I mean, he jumped right in. 
he was trained and, and, and he took care of it and he did, you know, triage and, you know, save this person's life. And so you're, yeah, we have to jump in. Yeah. So Mike, I want to shift gears a little bit and let's talk about partnering specifically. Yeah. So with respect to, with Yellow Dog Network, with your, you know, the company that, uh, that you're, that you're at, when did you guys take this partnering approach? I know some companies mm -hmm. kind of take it from day one and some companies maybe five plus years into it before they decide to use it for sales or for marketing or for technology. Right. When did you right. guys adopt this a partnering approach? Uh, Yellow Dog's been around about 18 years and I've been with Yellow Dog a year and a half, almost two years. Uh, you know, I think from day one, I think that the owners of the company recognize the value of building strategic partnerships. Yellow Dog has a lot of strategic partnerships with specific companies, uh, local and national and international. And so they know, and it's, it permeates everything that we do, that, that what we can't be successful unless we partner with other organizations. Yeah, that's awesome, man. So how about the different partnerships that you have been involved in? I know it's been a lot throughout your mm -hmm. career from a lot of different facets. When you think about successful partnerships, and really that's kind of the core of what we're driving to as, as an organization, Partneronomics, is trying to uncover, discover, what does it take to get successful partnerships? Is there a common thread that, that you see in the successful partnerships that, that you've had over the years? I think the best thing that I've discovered, and again, through trial and error, and I know from listening to some of your, your previous podcasts, uh, there is, there's no training in this necessarily. There's not a degree program in how one goes out to build strategic partnerships. It all stems from relationships. And it's an, that's an overused phrase, but it, but it is. It's figuring out, coming together like this, even virtually a virtual coffee or a face-to-face -face coffee, and sitting down and listening. Every relationship and every, every successful partnership I've ever formed, it's always been about listening and trying to understand. Um, you know, Stephen Covey, I mean, that what the, the seek first to understand, I'm probably butchering the phrase or whatever, but it's, but it's true. And it's really about diving in, finding commonalities and finding ways to build synergy and win-win. And for me, it's, it's always about, you know, just having touch points along the way, you know, finding something, oh, here's something that I think could be beneficial for you. Here's something I thought of you, Mark, I want to connect you with Bill over here and, and doing it not with the intent of I'm going to get something because the minute you try to get something, you're going to lose. I, I do believe that. I believe what we put out into the world comes back. So it's really trying to find ways to help a person and an organization and the money will follow if you want to, if you want to be as simple as that. I, I really do believe that. Yeah. I think that's awesome advice. Um, Mike, so I know you've had a lot of different teams that you've built in the past. And so from, from an employee perspective, whenever you're looking to hire somebody and you know that person's core job is going to be structuring new partnerships or, or managing ongoing relationships, is there any particular trait or attribute or characteristic uh, personal trait that you look for in that person? I look for someone that's, that has initiative, that has drive, that doesn't need to be told what to do, um, 
but on top of that is also coachable in the sense that you know you want someone that's going to be able to listen to take feedback and, and apply it um no one i mean no one likes uh, someone that's overly cocky that comes in that says i here i am i speak from experience having you know learned some hard lessons along the way uh trying to think you're the smartest person in the room, but looking for people that, that really do value individuals and also really recognize that none of us is as smart of, as, smart as all of us. And, and just, you know, really trying to, to, to get, figure this out. I mean, again, I know it sounds like I'm just regurgitating a bunch of things, but it's, I, I say them because they're true. It's that, that notion of no one likes to be sold to. No one does. I don't think of myself as, as in sales. I'm in relationships, but people do love to buy. They, they intrinsically love to buy and whether you're selling yourself or something like that, if they feel like that there's some kind of connection, they're going to buy into what you're doing. When I was a teacher teaching first thing in the morning, eight o'clock, you know, and it's cold and kids are coming in and they're hungry and they're tired. Are they going to be buying what I'm selling? Well, yeah, you know, you have to, you have to find a way to connect with them. So it's, it's about, Connection, empathy, listening, coachability, um, and 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 definitely some uh, definitely initiative. Finding ways to think outside the box and find ways to to you know different organizations and people to say we can we can figure this out. That's probably true for for any position. Any like position. Say, I mean, all of those sound uh, yeah, like we would like to have those in in all of our different employees. So, Mike, uh, earlier you you had mentioned books or things that you like to read. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to jump into that in the podcast. Something that that I enjoy as well, learning from others. Just as you had previously mentioned, nobody has all the answers. So, share with us a little bit. What are some books that you've read recently, or what are some of the go tos? We we call them the the business bibles. What, what right. are some of those that uh, you you find yourself recommending, and why? You know, I, I, about 10, 12 years ago, I really learned about the work of Jim Rohn. And I really, you know, I, I remember buying from Success Magazine, getting, you know, the, the weekend seminar and listening to those CDs as I would go to work and things like that. Um, I love Jim Rohn. I love his story. I love the fact that, that and, and just the, his language choice. And for people that don't really know him, you can go to YouTube and find a ton of his content that people have put up there. And it's fascinating to see him in a suit with, you know, an easel and a marker and, and people are just wrapped listening to him. So I love Jim Rohn. Uh, I, I think I mentioned this, you know, when we were talking before about, you know, Tony Robbins. And so again, when I was uh, in this, this motivation, you know, and when I was 38, I dove into Tony Robbins. And so I, I was able to use some professional development money from one of my universities to go see Tony Robbins in Vancouver, British Columbia, you know, and walked on fire. I mean, and I thought, you know, during this, and I was like, is it, is it a metaphor? Are we going to walk across the stage? There's flames, but no, you actually walk on fire. And that's, and as, I mean, I did it. I was actually in his line. He was like the Hulk. And, 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 and the lesson, and when you tell people this, they're like, what? But the idea is that if you can walk on fire, then you can do anything. Um, you know, and do I like Tony Robbins now? Well, you know, sure. But not, not to the same degree. I mean, it was at a different point in my life. I'm, I'm 50, uh, you know, I'm comfortable saying that. And now I'd be like, no, I'm not walking off fire. No, thank you. <laughs> um, I, you know, and, and I, a lot of, and again, these are just philosophy kind of books or business philosophy. I, I definitely 
Uh, I like the work of Dr. Wayne Dyer, uh, who was a, a psychologist who wrote Your Erroneous Zones in the 70s, which was like the number one bestseller of the 70s. Then he kind of transitioned into a spiritual side. Uh, again, went and heard him speak on my 40th birthday, met him in the airport, and, 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 and he passed away a few years ago, but I like a lot of his thinking. Um, lately, during COVID, you know, it, I have spent a lot of time, I've read a ton of business books. And so I've been trying to read memoirs and things like that. And do you know who Alan Arkin is? He no, won, Did you see Little Miss Sunshine, that, that movie? Um, he's, look him up. He's 86. He's an actor. He's been around forever. He was the grandpa in Little Miss Sunshine with Steve Carell. And he won an Academy Award in the 70s. He has, and, and he came up through the, through the, the, the world of, of Second City. He has a book on improv in, on improvisation that came out about nine years ago, and it's two two hundred pages. And that right there, I read that last week, and I'll email you the the name of it or whatever later after this. But from that, the the best lesson I got that I really have been focusing on that we can plan everything, we can make these plans and things like that. We, I'm going to plan my career and all that. But at the end of the day, the one constant we have, which is a no brainer, is is there's always change always change and so we're improvising we're doing the best we can with what we're doing and and I used to that's why I think I used to try to go to gurus like a Tony Robbins in my 30s or, an, or a Wayne Dyer in my early 40s because I was looking for the answer I think I realized there there may not be the answers <laughs> there, there are the mysteries of the, the universe anyone that says I have all the answers I'm a little wary of so yeah. well so the thing just, is there there may not be an answer or the answer, right? right? There's multiple paths. And I think for each one of us, we have to find our own path. You know, the, the path for you or the path for right. somebody else may right. be different. Yeah. So uh, it, it's, I just, I have an eclectic library, which I like. And I, and so, and, and definitely now that we see this, that's a big thing that with celebrities and anyone else, whenever they're on zoom, what do people try to look at? What are they reading? You know? Yeah. And so anyway, What's uh so sounds like you're a lifetime learner, right? Yes, yes. Uh, and it seems that man, so many of these uh, different executives and successful folks that we talk to and interview, that is definitely a common theme, is the the lifelong learner piece. I want to ask you. I'm just kind of curious with this. I've noticed how much we use YouTube. Mm -hmm. Right, YouTube mm -hmm. is such an amazing tool for education um for, for for our business right whether right. it's learning how to use a new piece of software how to code how to develop websites how to use software applications um stepping into kind of this adult space you know that, that we're in with educating and, and working with professionals what's your what's your thoughts on youtube as a, as a tool for education i agree i think it is a fantastic tool i think that that if you want if, if say you're if you're an entrepreneur like you and you want to put your your content out there and make it very specific um and it could be something as short as you know one minute three minutes five minutes i think because people's attention spans are kind of fragmented right now shorter the better and i think for a longer deeper dive or something like that absolutely uh, you know and, and i it, it definitely levels the playing field because it's quote unquote, and I'm doing, you know, it's free. And so that you can go to find an expert and it definitely democratizes learning, which I think is a, is a, is a very cool thing. 
Um, but I, I love it. And, and I, you know, I use it all the time. I had to fix a garage door. I YouTubed it. I had, I had to change the oil in my mower. Yeah. I YouTubed it. And God bless these people for doing it. How cool is that? Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. You know? Everything from cooking to changing yes. brakes to yes. using software applications. I mean, yes. you can find it. You can find it. And, and I, and it, it is, I, I, I think it is a, yeah, it's wonderful. Is it, is it possible? Or do you see, as you, as you look at our, let's call it the, the K-12 education system, mm -hmm. as you see that in your mind's eye 20 years from now, how is it going to be different than what it is today? 20 years ago, I was pitching an idea when I was in grad school, this idea of a, a small independent school with laptops, because, you know, laptops in, 20, in, in the year 2000 were pretty cutting edge um, and, and taking students, you know, to do true Deweyan education where it's experiential and, 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 and going and doing these kind of things. And, and then that idea, you know, like a lot of ideas, they withered and died, but that's kind of where we are now. Uh, I mean, it's still, uh, and so we're using laptops, we're using laptops for learning, we're, we're doing, but what's different is there's not the experiential side. I mean, I do think there's some danger to being very passive like this yeah. and very, very, there's danger as far as the, the, the connectivity with other people. 20 years from now, um, I think we're seeing this now, the breakdown in the authority of knowledge. Everyone is questioning. Everyone is saying, you can't tell me this. I believe this by God because I think it's true because I saw it over here. It is true. I, I, number one, I'm, I'm a little fearful. I'm fearful that, that we're going to have so many things that used to be agreed upon. Two plus two is four. Water's wet, sky's blue. That that's all out the window. <laughs> uh, and, and we're not going to have a set of, of, of standard norms. Uh, but that's philosophical. As far as technology, I have no idea. I mean, I, I couldn't have predicted that there would be, you know, a, a, a watch that would talk with my computer. I don't have one of those or my phone or anything like that. Uh, I do think it's, it's going to be even more hyper-converged. I do think that public schools will change yet again. I don't know, if, I don't know what they'll look like. I don't know because the funding model is not necessarily sustainable. Um, and when you have different, you know, when you have different, um, both right and left, when people come to power, it changes the way education's done. So there's a lot of money right now that's being diverted to public, I mean, to private schools, um, good, bad, or whatever. So I, I think the best answer is I don't have a, an idea except to say that if it continues, it's going to change radically. I don't know if we will have the brick and mortar schools. I don't know if we will. I think we should to some degree uh, because I can't see, you know, pre-K kids. I mean, that's, that's anyway. Yeah. So much. Uh, yeah. Well, you, you mentioned, yeah. Socialization, getting yeah. together physically yeah. and, and yes. communications and personal interpersonal yes. relationship building. Yes. And, and I mean, think about that when you were in kindergarten, when you were in school, I mean, that's how you learned how to navigate relationships. That's how you learn to navigate a bully. That's how you learn to navigate when to be quiet and realize it's not all about you. But when you're in front of a computer screen by yourself, it is all about you. Yeah. And it's, you got to learn how to get along with other people. And that's one of the good things school teaches you is you're going to work with people that you may not agree with or like, but you have to learn to work with them. Yeah.
Mike, tell us a little bit about mentoring and mentorship mm. and maybe a mentor that you had in your life that, mm -hmm. that was really instrumental. Okay. Uh, you know, and I know you are a big proponent of mentorship and, and you mentor a lot of people. Um, you know, I've, I've been very fortunate and blessed in my career. When I was 22, my first principal that hired me at this Catholic school in, in Oklahoma City she was, you know, probably in her late thirties and, 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 and there was a vice principal there that was much older and they, you know, they looked at me, I mean, I was horrible. I was a horrible beginning teacher, no classroom management, but mentored me along the way. Uh, I've been very fortunate that I have had mentors. I think one, one of the, the better ones that I had was a, was a, again, a principal it, later on. And this is a lesson that I, that I take every day and I have it written down in, you know, in front of me is, and this is talking about working with students, but it's working with, with, clients, prospects, other people. And she would say this, never work harder on someone else's problems than they're willing to work on it themselves. And, you know, particularly with kids and their behavior issues and things like that, if they're not willing to do the work, then you have to pull back. Same thing with in business. If you're always going forward and you're being the eager beaver and you're trying to do so much and they're not responding, take a break, pull back. They'll either circle back around or they won't. But as far as, you know, current mentors and things like that, you know, I have a couple out there, uh, you know, I'm not going to name them, but they know who they are that, that have helped me, that helped, that have helped transition me from kind of strategic partnerships at a nonprofit to really doing it in business development that I can go to and ask and say, what do you do? Um, and when I, and right now, I had a conversation with someone who's about 20 years younger than me and he on Friday and he said, you know, I, and it was very flattering because it's been a, a, a little bit of time since someone said this. He's like, I would like to take you to lunch and really learn how you've turned your career from education into this and learn from you. And I said, sure. You know, and, and I mean, do I think I know all the answers? Gosh, no. Um, but I do think, you know, because again, Beware of gurus. Beware of people that say I have all the answers. You know, if there's a timeshare condo, stay out of it. Don't don't go, <laughs> don't don't do it. That's some great advice. That's some great advice, Mike. Uh, one last question for you before we let you go. If you could speak to your 25 year old self, what kind of advice or what what would you share with your 25 year old self? to not take things so seriously, to dive into, definitely at 25, I was, I was a young teacher, to dive more into the business side of life, to learn, you know, to learn what, I mean, really kind of focus on economics, uh, you know, business development, business strategy, business intelligence, business writing. I think that's, that is one of the best things anyone can learn is how to write, uh, you know, and to have business acumen. Um, because it's going to help you with everything that you do, whether it's negotiating a car, negotiating a house, uh, you know, and, and just really try to learn the way the world works. Because when I was 25, I wanted the, wor the world to conform to me. Why isn't the world doing this? And now at 50, I realize I have to figure out, I, I, you know, the world doesn't care about me. I have, it's, it's, you have to figure out, how to work within the world and the laws and, 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 and the laws of nature and all that. So definitely to be, you know, more serious, you know, I mean, not take myself serious. That's definitely something I've always said. I take what I do very seriously, but I don't take myself very seriously. 
Um, but I would say that. Yeah, I think that's great advice, man. Well, Mike, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for uh, sharing the insights. It's awesome to learn a little bit about your company and about your background and hear the recommendations that you have for folks. So thanks for sharing, uh, sharing those insights. You're very welcome. I appreciate it. Thank you very, very much, Mark. And, and keep up the good work. And I, I love your podcast. Thanks, buddy. Partnernomics Podcast is brought to you by Partnernomics. Learn how to leverage the power of partnership. To listen to more episodes of Partnernomics Podcast, visit Partnernomics.com.